Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. We hope that you are encouraged by these messages and that God will continue to bless you. And now, today's sermon. If you have a Bible, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 14, the chapter that we've already looked at a little bit this morning as Brother Zion read us a portion of that passage. But we're going to look at verses, in particular verses 66 through uh, the end of the chapter as we look at dealing with a denial, uh, dealing with a denial. Some of you will be familiar with this passage as it is the passage of Peter and Peter denying Christ. One of the things that we as a chaplain team has been focused on, particularly in our, in our preaching here of late as we've been in Mark for quite some time now, is that Mark really slows things down in the past several weeks, doesn't he? I feel like two, three, even four weeks back, we were still on Holy Week. And for the past several weeks, we've been, we started on, we preached Good Friday. Oh, excuse me, excuse me, we preached, see, I'm already trying to get ahead myself. We're not at Good Friday yet, I'm, I'm getting ahead. We preached Palm Sunday several weeks ago. We preached other things in Mark that talked about Holy Week, where Jesus comes back to Jerusalem, he rides on a donkey, he cleanses the temple, now we've already passed the Thursday, the Thursday night of Holy Week where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, and I believe just a couple weeks ago we had a message on that. And then we found ourselves last week with Chaplain Roman, sort of, sort of that night after they leave, Jesus is in Gethsemane. Chaplain Runnels, I believe, preached about Jesus praying in Gethsemane. And then last week we heard about Jesus actually being arrested. Well, we're going to pick right back up where that, where that takes place. We're going to go back and we're going to look at Peter just a little bit in the Gospel of Mark. What I'd like to do is go back and review a few passages that share with us exactly what was going on with, uh, with Peter during, during the story as Mark uh, tells it. And then when we uh, look at this passage together in just a moment, I want to share with us, I believe, three lessons that you and I can take as we deal with denials as well. I don't know about you, but when I look at the past uh, several sermons and the, and the weeks that, that we've studied this, this passage in this Holy Week, it's a very sad week, isn't it? There's, there's, there's horrible things that take place. Uh, just last week, we saw Judas and his just outright betrayal of Jesus. And today, we're going to see Peter uh, with another form of betrayal, and that is a, a denial that he even knows who Jesus is. It was interesting as I was studying, I was reminded that today's March 14th, uh, tomorrow would be obviously March 15th, but it made me remember the phrase, beware the Ides of March. So tomorrow would be the anniversary of something that took place back in 44 BC that was a, a rather famous betrayal, and that was the life of Julius Caesar, who you may remember was betrayed by Marcus Junius Brutus. Brutus sort of got in cahoots with the Roman Senate, and Brutus, with a few other senators, they attacked Caesar and they murdered him. It was a betrayal, and you may remember that historians tell us, as well as a famous play, that Caesar's last words were what? A tu Brute. In other words, even you, Brutus. Betrayal is a, is a horrible thing that brings forth Horrible reminders and emotions for many of us, doesn't it? You, you may could think of times in your life when you were betrayed. I know I could certainly think of times when I was betrayed. I can also think of times when I was the betrayer and that sense of guilt. Well, let's look at Peter's betrayal. Let's look at Peter's denial. 
The way we're going to do that is let's walk through a little bit about Peter. If you go back through the Gospel of Mark, I want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, his name originally wasn't Peter. Peter was a nickname. What was his original name? Well, it was Simon. Sometimes he's called Simon by Jesus. Sometimes he's called Simon Peter. And sometimes he's called Peter. You remember at some point in the story, after uh, Peter makes his confession, Jesus said, now you're going to be called Peter. And at one place in the scripture, he says, on this rock, I'll build my church. Peter being a play off the Greek word Petros, it's a nickname, which means rock. It evokes images of like this solid person, this man who sort of has it all together. But it's interesting to me as we think about Peter and we look at the passage today, we're going to see a rock who doesn't have it all together. We're going to see a rock who in many ways crumbles. Jesus, however, gives him this name, Peter. It, it reminds me of a time in baseball's history when a manager by the name of Tommy Lasorda, Tommy Lasorda was a successful manager of a baseball team, and he had a young, skinny pitcher in the minor leagues who was up and coming. He had a pretty good arm, you know, but he didn't have any confidence. Uh, this young, skinny pitcher was seen as timid. He was seen as weak. He wasn't very aggressive. And Tommy Lasorda had an idea. He's going to give this man a nickname. And Tommy Lasorda looked at that young pitcher and he said, from now on, you're the bulldog. That's going to be your name now. You're the bulldog. Well, that pitcher's name was Oral Hershiser. Some of you may remember that name and know that Oral Hershiser went on to, in fact, live up to that name and become one of the most fierce pitchers and feared pitchers that any batter uh, ever ran across. Jesus is almost trying to teach Peter, maybe this is kind of what I want you to become, so I'm going to name you the rock. I don't know. Simon Peter was a fisherman by trade. We learned that in the, in the first uh, chapter of Mark. I, you don't have to turn back there, but I want to remind you of a couple of things about, about Simon Peter. In Mark chapter 1, verse, six, verse 16, it just simply says that Jesus was passing along the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. And it says they were fishermen. And that's where Jesus makes his initial call to Simon Peter, follow me, and he says, I'll make you fishers of men. We preached on this several, several months ago in this passage. In fact, it was, it was before I even arrived on the island and maybe before some of you arrived on the island. But you remember, Jesus calls Peter, he calls Andrew, he actually goes to their house and he heals many people there, it says in chapter 1, including actually Simon's mother-in-law. We've already alluded to this place in Mark, but as I think about Peter, I can't help but think back to when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? You remember that story? And remember what they said? They said in Mark chapter 8, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others said one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And in Peter, in this instance, being very rock-like, you are the Christ. Remember that? And Peter makes that famous, that great declaration. And in Mark chapter 8, it says that Jesus, after Peter makes that declaration, he says, the Son of Man is going to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And three days he's going to rise again. Now, Jesus makes this statement several times through Mark. He's teaching the disciples, as we know now, as we've been studying Holy Week, the whole purpose of Jesus' life up to this point is he is laser-focused on the cross, and he's telling his disciples, that's where I'm heading. I'm heading not to be served, as one passage says, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Well, Peter the Rock hears this, and what does he say? Peter begins to rebuke him. 
And then Jesus rebukes Peter. He says, uh, get behind me, Satan, because you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So that's another instance of Peter. I also can't help but think of in Mark chapter 9 when Peter and James and John meet with Jesus during the transfiguration. So Peter has all these moments. Some are kind of sort of rock-like, but some, maybe like some of us, not, not so much. Well, Zion just read to us earlier in Mark chapter 14, and you just heard that where Jesus gives the prophecy. He says, you're all going to fall away. The, sheep, the shepherd's going to be scattered and the sheep's going to fall. But what does Peter say? Even though they all fall away, I will not. And that's when Jesus makes his prophecy to Peter. Before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. As I was studying, I couldn't help but go back to Luke, chapter 22. You don't have to turn there. I'll just share it with you. Where Jesus said this along in that same story. He says, Behold, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter again with his great, I'll never do that. It'll never be me. Interestingly enough, back in Mark, and we're, just, we're going to read our passage in just a moment, but in Mark, after Peter, uh, after Peter makes his great declaration of, I'll never deny you, Chaplain Runnels reminded us in his sermon, as Jesus was praying in Gethsemane, Simon was just like the other ones. He was sleeping during prayer, and Jesus says, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? And then if you remember, as Jesus was arrested, I believe it was last week in chapel, we were reminded that someone cut off the ear of one of those coming to arrest Jesus. And the Gospel of John tells us, oh, by the way, that was Peter. So that's where Peter is as we come up to the actual denial. So in just a moment, I'm going to read to you Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 66. But before we do, I want to catch you up to speed on what's going on in our story. Because we're essentially following the story of Jesus during Holy Week. Jesus at this point has been arrested. The events that we're going to look at today happen between about 1 and 3 in the morning. In uh, Mark 14, verses about 54 to Oh, 64, 65, about those 10 or 12 verses there, we find that they take Jesus to the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest. It's an interesting judicial procedure as you read through it. What you find is it's, it's not very fair. They've already made up their mind about Jesus in many ways before it even started. I couldn't help as I was reading it. It continuously makes this statement that their testimonies did not agree. It would say that, that one person would say this and one person would say that. And I was reminded that in Jewish proceedings in the first century, you can go back to Deuteronomy and read this, but here, here's how it worked. A person could not be convicted unless two or more witnesses gave testimony, which assumes their testimonies had to agree. In other words, as they arrest Jesus and they make these accusations against him, the scripture, for example, in verse, uh, verse number 56, it says their testimony did not agree. It says down in verse 59, their testimony did not agree. Well, in a Jewish proceeding, essentially the prosecution would be the testimonies of witnesses. The testimonies did not agree. They weren't together on their, on their stories. But even so, it says in verse 63, I want you to look at that in Mark 14. It says the high priest, he tore his garments, meaning that he is, he is, he is, 
he is demonstrating that he believes in the guilt of Jesus at this point. Not exactly an impartial judge. He, he, he says Jesus' answer is blasphemy, and he tears his clothes, showing that he re- regards this. And all this, by the way, takes place at night. Did y'all, any of y'all have a grandmother who would say things like, nothing good happens at night? Well, here's a classic example of that. In the period of darkness, all this bad stuff happens. Keep reading in Mark uh, 14, verse 63. Look at verse uh, 64 now. You've heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. No no witnesses matched. Caiaphas just sort of, he's already guilty before we even start, and they all decide he's deserving death, which next week we'll pick up as Jesus gets delivered over to Pilate. But look at verse 65. Some began to spit on him, to cover his face, and to strike him, saying, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And in a moment, we're going to read about Peter's denial. At the end of Peter's denial, it's the next morning, and we'll find that they finally deliver Jesus over to Pilate. Now, let's look specifically at what Peter does. And I'm going to read our passage for today, Mark 14, verses 66 through the end of the chapter. Here's what it says. And as Peter was below in the courtyard... One of the servant girls of the high priest came. Now remember, by the way, this is happening simultaneously with Jesus' trial. All right, verse 67. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and here it is, and the rooster crowed. Verse 69, and the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them, but again he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Verse 72, and immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. So now we come to the actual denial of Peter. And I want, to, I want you to notice, before we get into our, to our outline today, there's a progression in Peter's denial, isn't there? It begins in verse 66 with Peter And this girl just coming up to him as Peter's warming himself by the fire, and she asked him, you know, you were with the Nazarene Jesus. Peter's answer is interesting. Go back and look at it in verse 68. I neither know nor understand what you mean. He he is, you ever had anybody overkill on their protestation of something? This this is over-protesting. There's a a Shakespeare's play, a Hamlet where they're watching a play and there's a lady in the play who kind of does this and, the, and as they're watching, the lady says, uh, the lady doth protest too much, methinks. I don't talk like that every day, but I kind of get the idea. It also makes me think of a, of a child who maybe is accused of stealing a cookie. The freshly baked cookies perhaps are on the counter and you go up to, to the little child and you say, did you, did you steal a cookie? And instead of going, no sir or no ma'am, he says, I don't know anything about cookies. I don't even know what cookies you're talking about. In fact, I don't even know what a cookie is. Uh, What's a cookie? 
that overkill of protestation kind of makes you think, what? Mm, maybe there's something here. Well, that's what I see Peter here. I don't, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. That's sort of the, the tone of Peter's response here. Well, the night goes on, and it's interesting that Peter's denial is not just a one-and-done thing. Although, we just read this passage in about 35, 40 seconds. Keep in mind, the story in this passage takes place over a couple of hours. So Peter denies initially with this servant girl. And then it says very specifically that he, the girl, the servant girl speaks to the bystanders. Look at, look at, that, look at that verse. Look at um, verse 69. The girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. And he denies it again. In other words, not only did Jesus deny it when he was confronted by the girl, but if you read that carefully, it reads this way. The girl is over here talking to the bystanders. Hey, that, that guy over there, he's one of him. He's one of them. Well, Peter, he interjects himself into that conversation to make sure that they know that he is attesting, I'm not one of them. So there's your second denial. Well, the third denial is down a little bit further. And the bystanders in verse 70, now it's not just the servant girl, it's not just the servant girl talking to the bystanders, but the progression takes us to the, all the bystanders now have kind of collaborated and they've said, hey, in verse 70, you are one of them, you're certainly one of them for you're a Galilean. And that's when Peter makes this curse on himself and says, it's, it's not me. In fact, Matthew chapter 26, uh, in telling the same story, one of the bystanders says, surely you're a one of them. Your accent uh, gives you away. Uh, there's certain accent that would have went with the Galilean, very much like, how many of you ever heard Chaplain Roman preach? Raise your hand. Have you ever heard me, Chaplain Braswell, preach? Raise your hand. Would you believe me if I told you that when we were little boys, we both grew up on the same block and lived our whole lives there? You probably wouldn't believe that because you would hear Chaplain Roman's accent, you would hear my accent, and you'd probably say, Chapman Brazel didn't grow up in Boston, he didn't grow up in New York City, there's a lot of places he probably didn't grow up in, but if you guess places like South Carolina, Georgia, North Carolina, that's usually what I get. Why do I get that? Because you hear this accent. That's what they were doing with Peter. They, they, they've said, hey, no, we know you're one of them. We saw you, we've kind of talked about it over here, and that's when he makes this curse upon himself. He, he, in other words, he, he's using the strongest language possible to deny his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As I stated earlier, one of the saddest, in my opinion, stories throughout Scripture. But I believe there's some things we can learn from this story. I believe there's some things that God has for you and for me. As here we are on about Thursday night slash moving towards Friday morning of Holy Week, I think there's some ways we can deal with denial as, as well. And I'm going to share three of them with you this morning. So point number one is this. Point number one I think we learn from this passage is depend on Christ instead of yourself. I'll say that again. Depend on Christ instead of yourself. When I think about Peter's initial statement that Zion read to us earlier, it makes me think about self-confidence. Though everybody deny you, I will not. It's self-confidence versus Christ dependence. Chaplain Roman last week gave an illustration from The Godfather, so I'm going to follow suit and give you an illustration from The Godfather movie as well. You may remember at the beginning of the movie, 
the Corleone family is, is a crime family, obviously, and, and, and they do a bunch of criminal activity. And the godfather had a son named Michael Corleone. He, he kind of left the family and, and, and by his own accord wanted to serve in, in, in the war, in World War II. And at the, the first scene of the movie is, is they're all there at the sister's wedding, right? And Michael Corleone's there. He's in the green. He's in the green uniform. And, and he's sitting there at the table, and he's talking to his girlfriend, who later will become his wife. And he tells a long story about basically letting her know, hey, this is what my family does. They're into criminal things. They're into nefarious things. They, they kill people. They do a lot of bad stuff. And as he's telling that story, he makes this statement, and the whole movie kind of leads to this. He says, that's my family, okay? It's not me. That's what I think of. I think of this overconfidence that I could never go down that road. What happened to Peter? He's overconfident, I believe, and I believe he's proud. He, he's, he's saying, I can take care of it. I can do the right thing. When what we all need to be doing is recognizing we're all capable of sin. We need to depend on Christ. This is the same Peter, remember, at one point who said, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. This is the same Peter who said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the same Peter, the great leader, the great preacher. How can this happen? This is a believer, right? This is not also, by the way, not just a momentary slip up. He didn't deny Jesus one time and then recognize the error of his ways. He is, as we say, he's committed at this point to his denial. He denies him not one time, not two times, but three times. Over the course of a couple of hours, he's intentional about this betrayal. The text is brief as we read it, but it was strung out over two hours. I can't help but think of the Proverbs that says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. I'm also reminded of James chapter 4 that says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind us that we dare not slip into this mentality of, oh, I'll never do this, I'll never do that sin, I'll never do that, but remain humble and say, God, I need you every day. I need to depend on Christ to live in a way that's pleasing to him. Point number two is this. I think we should serve instead of self-preserve. Let me say that again. Serve instead of self-preserve. It's interesting, they say in crisis, people go into either what? Fight or flight. We've already seen Peter try to cut somebody's ear off. I guess that was the fight. Now we see Peter in denial. That's the flight, I guess. Serve instead of preserve. In other words, what happened with Peter is he went into this mode of self-preservation instead of self-sacrifice. The self-preservation mode, I have to deny Christ because I'm around these people and I'm scared, I'm fearful. I don't know what his emotions necessarily were, but, but he went into this mode of I've got to protect myself, so I'm going to do whatever I have to do to do that, which is the absolute opposite of what Jesus has been saying to the disciples all through, especially as we read the Gospel of Mark, as he keeps going back to this theme of I'm not here to be served. Jesus was here to serve. He is on his way to the cross. That's why we're camping out in Holy Week. We're focused on the suffering servant here, who, by the way, we just read right before these denials. He's already been beaten. That was the first time, I believe, that we read that somebody has, has begun to lay hands on Jesus. 
the worst is yet to come, but even early on in the story, they're receiving him with blows, it says. They're, they're striking him, they're, they're mocking him. Jesus is in the mode of a servant. He's going to go to the cross because that's what his heavenly father called him to do. Peter says, I'm going to get into this flight mode. I'm going to go into self-preservation. We see all through the rest of the New Testament that God's not called us to self-preserve, but he's called us to serve other people. I can't help but think about 2 Corinthians that says that we're what? We're ambassadors for Christ. It says also in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, listen to this. You excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and your, and your love uh, for us. God's called us to serve others. He's called us to love others. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says to do what? To speak the truth in love, that it may benefit those who listen, it says later on in Ephesians chapter 4. But instead, Peter uses the strong language, as strong as he possibly could, to deny Christ. My question as we think about self-preserve instead of serve is this, though. How do you and I deny Christ? We're hard on Peter this morning, but at least Peter was there. Right? He was there. What did the Bible say about the rest of the disciples? They fled. They, they weren't even there. My question is, how do you and I deny Christ? And I'd say it like this. Are we even there? And, and what I mean by, by that is this. Do the people in your life and in mine even know that I'm a Christian? In other words, we may say, well, I've never out and out said, I don't know Jesus. I've never said that. But my question and my challenge this morning would be, does anybody around you even know that you are a Christian? I would submit to you that's a way we deny Christ. Jesus talks about no one who has a lamp hides it under a bushel, but let your light shine. Do we deny Christ in our speech? Do we deny Christ in our actions? Do we deny Christ in gathering with other believers? Self-preservation versus serving. When I was studying, I ran across a, a quote from Martin Luther, and he said this. It was Francis Schaeffer who actually quoted it, but he, talks, he, he akined it to, to battle and warfare, so it kind of piqued my interest. Here's what he said. He said, when the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. Why do people get the greatest honor? America can give a soldier the Medal of Honor, typically because of acts of valor in the heat of what? A battle. He says, during that time is when the loyalty of the soldier is proved, and to be steady on all battlefields besides that is mere, Martin Luther says, is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at this point. I would submit that if we find ourselves in self-preservation mode, in the mode of, oh, I've just got to take care of myself instead of being a person of service, we may find that we need to do some examination and see if we're in some way denying Christ. Self-preservation versus service. And then point number three, and I'll say this. You and I need to grow and repent during our times of sin and failure. We grow and repent during times of sin and failure. 
And instead of going all the way through the book of Acts and unpacking that, I'll simply begin this point by saying, look at what Peter became. If you know anything about the rest of the story of the New Testament, think about what you know about this one who here spent two hours in self-preservation mode, overconfident that he'll never do this evil deed, and does the very thing he swears he'll never do, and is so focused on himself. That same one was the one who powerfully preached, and thousands of people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. How is that possible? I believe it's because Peter had a repentant heart. I believe it's because Peter learned from his time of sin. He learned from his time of failure. Listen to this statement. Our greatest spiritual advancements many times will arise out of our darkest moments. Let me say that again. Our greatest spiritual advancements many times will arise out of our darkest moments. And think about Jesus and his journey. Remember, this is almost, it is, it's actually a compare and contrast. On the one hand, Jesus is suffering, Jesus is now on the road to even greater suffering as he's being on trial at Caiaphas and Annas, and they convict him, while at the same time, Peter is denying him. Jesus is being let down by all those around him. Peter, James, and John, they weren't able to keep watch in the Garden of Gethsemane. They fell asleep. He's already been betrayed by Judas. He's already been abandoned by the other disciples. Remember, at least Peter's kind of hanging out. He's there. The other disciples are nowhere to be found. Peter's denial at this point just simply seems to be the next in a series of events where Jesus seems to be abandoned by all who know him and just sort of handed him over to those who wanted to kill him. But it's interesting, I want you to, I invite you to take time. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 22, and we'll come back to Mark. But I do want you to, if you have a Bible close at hand, I do want you to turn to this passage in Luke chapter 22. I want you to see another piece of the story that Luke gives us that I believe is important. In Luke chapter 2, verse 61, and if you don't have it, that's okay, I'll read it for you. It's the same story, Luke just gives us another piece of information. We've already read that Peter weeps bitterly. We've already read that, you know, the, the rooster crowed. But look at verse number 61 in Luke 22. It simply says, The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and what he had said uh, to him. What was that look? Well, I, I don't want to speculate. I don't, I don't know for sure. But I can't help but think... Maybe it was eyes of compassion, because that's who Jesus is many times when people repent. Christ warned about Peter's impending denial, yet he says earlier in this chapter in Luke something very interesting. I want you to go back up. If you've already turned to 61, just simply go up a little bit to Luke 22, verse 32 where Jesus has already said to Peter, this is, when Je- this is when Jesus prophesied the betrayal. Look at what he said about Peter in verse 32 of Luke 22. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have, listen to this, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. When you have turned again, 
strengthen your brothers. Jesus is already preparing the way for reconciliation. Isn't that just like what God does? That's the whole story to the cross is he, he's, he's, he's going to die for the sins of the world. Jesus is preparing already here reconciliation with Peter. And when I think about Peter at the end of this, in Mark 14, this sad story where he just weeps bitterly and it just kind of ends, doesn't it? Mark doesn't tie a bow on it for us. Mark just goes right on to Pontius Pilate and gives us more agony and, 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 and more horrible things that happen to Jesus. But I want to point out to you that even in this, Jesus is letting Peter know, by the way, after you fall, I'm going to need you. I have a work to do for you. I can't help but think again that some of our greatest spiritual advancements come in some of our darkest moments. Because there may be some here who, who listen to this message and, and see this passage and you may think, I've been in self-preservation mode. I thought I could be morally upright without sin, yet I'm a sinner. Um, I've got into this fight or flight thing, and I've not really been serving the Lord. And you might be here and you may say, well, there's nothing I can do to repent. Well, the good news is God calls us to repent and God receives us back. Some of the greatest stories I love to read are, are, are stories about soldiers who are self-sacrificial and who serve, and many of our battle buddies have given the ultimate price to serve us and to serve our country. In the world of beloved Christian saints, you can read about many, many saints who gave their lives in the service of Jesus Christ and who told the world, even though all around me are wanting to kill me, I'm going to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Well, one man who did just that was named Balthazar Hubmeyer. Hubmeyer was known as the Simon Peter of the Anabaptist in the 16th century. Listen to this, this great man, Hubmeyer. In one year at Nicholsburg in Europe, he saw 6,000 believers baptized. That's why I guess they called it the Simon Peter of, of that day. But Hubmeyer, in his life, that movement and the idea that people need to have a personal faith in Jesus Christ was very much persecuted. And on two different occasions, Hubmeyer himself, the great one who saw 6,000 people saved, he denied Christ on two occasions, publicly now, publicly. Very much the same way Peter's denial. Yet Hubmeyer wrote this in a little book he called A Short Apology. He would write, Oh God, pardon me in my weakness. It is good for me that you have humbled me. So on two occasions, he denied Christ. Let me share with you the rest of Hubmeyer's story and, and just listen as I read it to you. March the 10th, 1528, Hubmeyer was burned at the stake with his precious wife nearby, and she was encouraging him to remain faithful to Jesus. Remember, he's already denied Christ in his life twice. Three days later, she would be executed by drowning in the Danube River. The story says, as Hubmeyer prepared to be burned, he shouted loud for the onlooking crowd to hear. Here's what he said. Oh, my gracious God, grant me grace in my great suffering. As the flames engulfed his beard and hair, his last words were this. Oh, my heavenly Father, oh, my gracious God, oh, Jesus. And this writer says that witnesses would say that in his death, quote, he appeared to feel more joy than pain. I share that story simply because of this. If we find ourselves in that sin, denial, 
betrayal. And we say, there's no way I can be forgiven. I'm here to tell you, Christ does forgive. And as we think about the cross, and in just a few weeks, we're going to talk about the resurrection, and it's going to be a very celebratory Sunday. But I want you to hang in there with us and don't get there too quickly. I want us to leave on this idea that Peter wept bitterly. How are you and I going to respond to our times of denial today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that teaches us that Jesus was focused on the cross. You were focused on being the suffering servant. And we weep bitter tears as we think about this great sacrifice that you made for us because we know that you loved us so much, as John said, that Jesus said, you love the world so much that you gave. And God, we confess to you that many times we find ourselves saying, oh God, I'll never do that. God, I'll never be like those people over there. And as no sooner than we say it, we find ourselves just like Peter. We find ourselves in self-preservation mode when our vision becomes focused on ourselves instead of the way of the cross. God, I pray that among our people today, if there's someone here who thinks they could never be forgiven, God, may they be reminded that just as Peter wept those bitter tears, God, you continue to use him, and, and some of his greatest days were ahead of this moment of failure. God, I pray for those who may be listening to this sermon and may say they've never trusted Jesus as, as their personal Lord and Savior. I pray there will be people who come to the point that they realize they're sinners in need of a Savior, and that Jesus Christ, you died on the cross, and three days later you rose again. And the Bible says if we believe in you, we don't perish, but have everlasting life. God, I pray for your people uh, today. We pray that we would be blessed and kept by you, as we're going to sing about in just a moment. And God, may we reflect on ways we can respond when we've sinned and failed you. We thank you for your grace in our lives. And it is that that we are grateful for today. Bless us as we sing together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.